big thank you for your singing. It has been uh, really encouraging uh, just to hear you. Uh, there's a particular line in that third song uh, that was encouraging as we, as we thought of the generations we're going to join in with as we sing. Uh, it was the generations of those who will believe. It gives me a, a great hope and a, a sort of a spurring on to continue to pray for my friends and family who don't know Jesus yet. In the hope that actually at some point they will get to sing with us too. Uh, that they will sing in honour and to the glory uh, of the Lamb. And so actually I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray for them. And as I, as I pray for people I, don't, I know who don't know Jesus, I'd encourage you to insert um, some names into this prayer yourself. Uh, family members or friends that you long to know Jesus. Uh, please pray for them as I pray. Uh, Lord, we thank you that uh, your son Jesus is the Lamb that we will sing to uh, for the rest of time. That we will join in with generations before and generations to come. And Lord, right now we pray uh, for those that we know who don't know you yet. Lord, we pray that they will join in that song. Lord, spur us on uh, to share with them the wonderful news of Jesus. Amen. I wonder if you've ever thought of the question, does Jesus like you? How does he feel about you? I would hope if you have been around church for any length of time, the question of whether Jesus loves you or not is not a question you have to think about. Uh, we sing and we hear all the time that Jesus loves us. But does he like us? Does he enjoy spending time with us? Does he like our personality, our quirks, our differences? Does Jesus like us? We can probably get our heads around the idea of loving something without loving someone without particularly liking them. Uh, we, are, we are called to love all people. Uh, and sometimes that can be tricky when there are people we don't naturally like. But is that the same with Jesus? Does he love us but not actually like us? Or does he love us and like us? Our passage this morning in John 21, I hope, will answer some of that question. I hope it will show us that Jesus views his, uh, his followers, his disciples, as friends. People that Jesus delights to spend time with. For he enjoys it, as well as it being for our good. And so please turn to John 21 in your Bibles, and we're going to be reading verses 1 to 14. And just uh, as you open that up, uh, a little word on John 21. Uh, John 21 is a slightly odd chapter of the Bible in that it's, it's kind of a second conclusion to John. Uh, many people think that uh, John finished at John 20, and then a little later on in his life he just added on John 21. There must be something in John 21 that made uh, John so excited to add it in to his account of Jesus' life. A second conclusion, uh, really. Uh, you would have seen last week that John ends, John 20, uh, with some words uh, about what the purpose of the book was. You would think he might just end there. He's like a preacher saying, finally, 15 minutes before they actually get to their final purpose. <laughs> and we have that in John 21. Uh, so please uh, read along with me. John 21, 1 to 14. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, 
Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, We will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? They answered him, No. He said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garments, for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it, and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, a hundred and fifty-three of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took bread and gave it to them, and so were the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Amen. In Jesus' appearances after his resurrection so far, uh, we have seen Jesus give to his followers uh, a whole lot of different things. Uh, so he comes to uh, Mary, who is crying at the side of the tomb, and comforts her. Uh, to an anxious bunch of disciples who have been hiding away in fear, he comes and offers them peace. And he then uh, brings them and tells them to receive the Holy Spirit. He promises the Holy Spirit will be with them. To a doubting Thomas, he gives assurance that he allows Thomas to place his fingers in the holes in Jesus' hands. And here in John 21, Jesus gives fish to his friends. He gives fish to his friends. And it's not just about fish, but it symbolizes uh, how Jesus actually feels about his disciples, that he sees them as friends. And so as we look through our passage, we'll see uh, three ways in which Jesus is a friend. He is a friend like no other who works miracles for the good of his friends. He is a friend who shares, and he is a friend forever. Now, the first one of those, he is a friend like no other, in that he works miracles for the good of his friends. Now picture the scene that is happening. Simon Peter and six other disciples are out fishing. Uh, they go out all night, they go through the stress and the toil of fishing, casting out the nets and, and pulling them in and seeing that they have caught nothing. Uh, they sail off to a slightly different patch of water, hoping to catch some fish, and yet again they come up empty-handed. All night they go on fishing and getting no reward. They have come up empty. 
They have reached the end of their fishing abilities. They have nothing left in the tank for them to keep going. They are tired and exhausted and ready to come in. They are at the very end of their human capacity. And at that stage, Jesus turns up. Uh, verse 4, just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. As they have reached the end of themselves, Jesus turns up and Jesus offers a beautiful solution. He says, cast your nets on the other side of the boats. And as they do so, they catch a multitude of fish, 153 of them. And it's not because the disciples were not that great at fishing that they just missed this huge shoal of fish that was right next to the boat, but it's because Jesus caused the fish to be there. He called them into the net, all 153 of them. This is a Jesus who refers to his friends here as children. If you read it from the NIV and some other translations, I actually call them friends. Uh, the word used is, uh, is best translated as children, and really thinking of children under the age of about seven. What Jesus is trying to communicate is his affection towards those he is speaking to. They are his beloveds, those that he cares for. They are his friends. He sees them at reaching the end of their human capacity and with compassion he calls out to them. And John recognizes who it is that has called out to them. Uh, the reason he is so easily able to recognize that this is Jesus calling out to them is because Jesus has done this exact same thing before. Uh, cast your mind back uh, to Luke 5 when Jesus meets James and John and Peter. In a similar situation, uh, they had caught no fish. Oh, I'll just read the passage to you. And Jesus turns up. Uh, Luke 5, uh, just a couple of verses from. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed the large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats, so that they began to sink. John is able to recognize that it is Jesus calling out to them, because he's seen Jesus work this sort of miracle before. He has seen that this is something that only Jesus can do, and so if there is somebody calling out to them to, uh, that there are fish right there for them to catch, it is definitely going to be Jesus. Now you remember uh, in the race to the tomb, John likes to include uh, in his gospel that he won that race. And it's here again, he's in his sort of, uh, his mode of railing against Peter by reminding everybody that he recognizes Jesus first, uh, even though it was Peter who actually uh, saw Jesus in Luke 5 first. And so there's a question to ask me. Why doesn't Peter recognize immediately that it's Jesus? Why is it John who has to inform him? Uh, well, the answer is in verse 7. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord's, he put on his outer garments, but he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. Now, the clue that was towards the end, he was stripped for work. Now, of course, all the disciples were at work on the boats. They were all seeking to catch their fish. But it seems only John was able to lift up his eyes, to take his mind off his work for just a moment to behold the Jesus that was before him. 
Peter was so ingrained, so focused in his work that even if even Jesus, the Lord himself, that Peter had been waiting for us to appear, he would not even notice because he was just so solely focused on his work. I imagine for many of us we can relate to Peter in this story. That we can be so busy with our lives, whether that is work or something else, that we fail to look up and recognize Jesus. To recognize how each day he is carrying us. To recognize the amazing things that he has done for us and in us and through us. It's like we are somebody who's taking a lovely trip uh, to the beach in the evening and there is a beautiful sunset, but they spend the whole time looking down at their feet, walking along the sands, failing to look up and behold what they are there. We must watch as we work and play and raise kids and do whatever we do that we do not become so busy that we can fail to look up and behold Jesus. And so actually, I'd like us to pause for just a moment and just yourself to reflect on this question. What has Jesus been doing in your life over the past 12 months. Just take a minute. together to share those, I think, with each other. I think that would be a beautifully encouraging time to share what Jesus has been doing in our lives over the past year. I'd like you also to notice something in Peter's reaction to Jesus that is beautiful and for us to follow. He finds out that it is Jesus calling out to him, and he throws himself in the sea. He is desperately jumping within his whole self to go after Jesus. If you know uh, the story I read from Luke chapter 5, you might know that the story ends with Peter speaking to Jesus, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. Jesus has done the exact same thing. He has uh, brought this miraculous catch of fish for Peter, and yet the reaction is different. It is no longer depart from me, but Jesus, I will do nothing except get as close to you as I possibly can. What's changed? is that Peter has spent three years with Jesus. He has been loved relentlessly by Jesus. He has been loved relentlessly even to the point of Jesus' death on the cross. Even, and then to see the hope of Jesus rising again. Peter's whole life has been changed. His whole attitude has been changed towards Jesus by what Jesus has done in his life. And so now, as he sees Jesus, he is desperate for him. I wonder if uh, that resonates with any of your stories. Initially, at one stage, rejecting uh, Jesus or not, or not feeling worthy enough for Jesus. Afraid to come close to him. And yet now, because of what Jesus has done, all for Jesus. Ready and willing and delighted to give yourself all to him. Jesus is a friend like no other. 
For the good of those who love him, he works miracles. He brings this miraculous catch of fish for his friends. The second way we see Jesus as a friend in this passage is as Jesus being a friend who shares. Uh, look with me at verse 9. When they got out of land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Jesus has set up a barbecue for his friends. Interesting, the only place we see actually Jesus cook a meal for his friends is here, uh, only once throughout his life. Jesus has set up a barbecue, and it's curious that Jesus has brought some fish, and Jesus has brought some bread, but he has not brought enough. Uh, now, of course, we're not thinking that Jesus does not have access to enough fish. If Jesus wanted to turn up with a thousand fish for his friends, surely he could. But he relies on some of the disciples bringing their fish as well. He asks Simon to bring some of the fish that they caught. Jesus, of course, could have enough, but he asks for those who have some to bring theirs too. That is so often the case of how Jesus works. Think of Jesus' great commission. Uh, so we know that God desires for all people to be saved. He desires for Jesus' name to be declared among all the nations. And he could do that with just a few words or a click of his fingers. But he invites us to get involved instead. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And remember, I am with you. As we look at the new Kintour Church building, uh, we are so excited for it, and God could have just given us that building for free, with a click of his fingers or a word. And there are churches out there whose testimonies are just like that. But rather, as is more often the case, God invites us to give what we have as well. Uh, God, uh, we have seen that God has been all over this process, at uh, favour with the sellers, the existence of the building, the price that the building was listed at, and over so many other things. But he still asks us to give. He still wants what we have. God, of course, could uh, just make it happen with a click of the fingers. But he invites us. And the reason that he invites us to bring also what we have is because those invitations are an invitation to intimacy. To intimacy with him. Uh, think for a moment if you go out to a restaurant. Uh, you have a server who brings your food. You have a chef who brings your food, or who cooks your food. It's all done for you. And the result is you have delicious food, yes, but you have no relationship with the server. And you have no relationship with this chef. There is no intimacy with the one who has given you the things you are looking for. But think if you arrive at a friend's house for dinner, or you attend a potluck, everybody brings something with them. And what do you have? You have an intimacy as you share those things together. The invitation Jesus gives us uh, to give all that we have, to give uh, the disciples fish, or to give the money that we have, and the time and the resources, is primarily an invitation for intimacy with him, as we join with him in the wonderful work that he is doing. And get this. The fish that Simon Peter brought were also fish that were handed to him by Jesus. Yes, Simon Peter uh, filled his nets. He put his nets into the sea and brought them in. But they were still a gift from Jesus who directed them where to get the fish. 
Uh, we may think uh, sometimes of what, of what God has given us and what we have uh, worked for for ourselves, but in reality it is all a gift of Jesus. It is all his gift, and so it is all to be given back to him. <coughs> Colossians 1 describes it like this. Uh, speaking of Jesus, Paul says, For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. Whatever you have, whoever you are, it was created by Jesus, and it was created for Jesus. So let's not be a church that would seek at all to hold anything back from him, but to give it all straight back to him that he may be glorified through it. Jesus is a friend who shares, who gives freely. Now the third way we see Jesus as a friend in our passage is that we see him as a friend forever. Now look at uh, one of the most beautiful verses, I think, in the whole Bible, in verse 12. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Uh, legitimately, and Charlie encouraged me to share this, I wasn't going to do this. Uh, as I was looking at this passage, I was, I was reminded of the joy of breakfast, and so I had to go to Dice Farm this morning for breakfast, uh, which was, it was okay. Uh, it was, thankfully, a reminder that the heavenly breakfast is going to be a lot better. I'm very passionate about Dice Farm, if you've been here a while, you've heard me speak about it. But it doesn't always quite hit the spot. I'm excited for a heavenly breakfast where the bacon uh, doesn't have the fat still where the food hasn't been sitting out for a long time under it, where the toast is uh, to the perfect amount of brown whatever I want it, where one of those little sachets of butter is actually enough to do a whole slice of toast. <laughs> the heavenly breakfast is going to be really beautiful. This invitation Jesus gives to his disciples is not a one-time thing, but it is an all-time thing. An invitation to come, to be, and to feast with Jesus. It's an invitation to the disciples without any sort of agenda behind it. Maybe you know the feeling uh, of a boss who says, hey, let's have a catch-up soon. And you think, oh, well, that'd be nice to have a catch-up with my boss. But you really know that there's an agenda to it. You've done something wrong or uh, they want to give you more responsibility. It's not just a catch-up. There's something more. And now the resurrected Jesus, as he speaks to his disciples, he encourages them to so much. He tells them, go and make disciples. He challenges them. But he also just invites them to be. To come and be with Jesus. And the reason that he can give an invitation without an agenda is because the agenda or the to-do list is complete already. Think back to those beautiful words Jesus spoke on the cross. It is finished. The work is done. The to-do list is complete, and not complete by the disciples, the to-do list is complete by Jesus. Sinners are now welcome because Jesus Christ has paid for their sins and justified them. People are able to live with Jesus because Jesus has risen, so they too will rise. In Jesus' invitation, he does not need an agenda because the agenda has been completed by him. Rather, Jesus invites them to have breakfast with him, simply because he wants to be with them. 
because it brings Jesus pleasure to hang out and chat and be with those that he loves, his friends. That's the invitation we have as well, to simply be with Jesus. I don't know how exactly you do a quiet time or a similar sort of thing yourself. Often it can feel uh, potentially like a little bit of a chore or a tick box or something we just need to squeeze into our day. We know that quiet times are good for us and it's always good to, of us to remind ourselves of who Jesus is and what he has done. But it is also a delight for Jesus Christ to meet with you each day. It is also a delight for him to see you come to him in prayer, to unload all your burdens onto him, to hear you talk about your day, to meet you. It is a delight for him to spend time with you. This scene that John gives us is also, uh, I mentioned this at the Dice Farm thing, is a beautiful picture of what heaven's going to be. No agendas, no to-do lists, no stress about yesterday or tomorrow, but just time with Jesus. And the scene strikes me a lot like the final scene of many movies. Uh, you know that We've had the big story, we've had the big battle, the big event that's complete, and we have this final scene where the main characters, they just hang out together and have a wonderful time. That's what this scene pictures, and this, that's what this scene points to of what uh, life will be like with Jesus forevermore in heaven. No stress. Just time with Jesus. Spend with him, enjoying him forever. That's the hope we have. Jesus likes you. Jesus sees you as a friend if you are found in him, if you are a Christian. And he is a friend like no other friend. He is a friend who will work miracles for the good of you. He is a friend who will share all that he has with you. And he is a friend that will be your friend forever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that you welcome us in as your children. We thank you so much uh, that your son calls us his friends. Lord, we thank you that he delights in us, that he works miracles for us, that he shares with us, and that we'll get to be his friend forevermore. Lord, we hold our hope only in him. Lord, help us to respond to this invitation to come and have breakfast, to come and simply be with you. Lord, in the midst of busyness and stress, Lord, would you help us to pause, to look up, to behold the one who is calling out to us, and to respond with a, a hearty yes to his invitation to be with him. In his name we pray. Amen.